Hello, and welcome to Late to the Party, episode 10. This is the Geeks Unleashed monthly book club podcast, where in addition to our weekly podcast, we work through what are considered some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. This month's graphic novel is Why the Last Man by Brian K. Vaughan and Pia Guerra. I'm Mark, and I'm joined by my other co-host, Jasmine. Hello, just us this time, though. Um, We don't have a guest this week, but we do want to acknowledge that we are celebrating, can you believe it, a year of this book club series. Um, So we did end up taking a couple of months off. So even though this is episode 10, we have been doing the book club series for a year. and man, we have done some serious, serious homework in the past year on, on some of these books. Uh, we've constantly tackled bigger books and engaged with guests. And I think we had some really, really great conversations in our book clubs. So before we jump into this month's book, we kind of want to just take a little trip down memory lane. We got some highlights that we want to play for you guys from our Lates of the Party series. And as always, thank you, the listener, so much for your comments and your messages And big, big, big special thank you to the people who have reached out to us and said that after listening to one of our book club episodes, they picked up a graphic novel for the first time. Um, That is really, really awesome. Um, And we hope that you do continue to read graphic novels. Episode one, The Complete Mouse, with guest host Randy Dankiewicz. You know, Mouse is really... You know, it's about the Holocaust. It's about a father and son, but it's about the idea, um, you know, there's a lot of medical research now that goes into the idea of inherited trauma and how trauma can pass through genes from generation to generation. And I don't see a clearer reflection of that than in how both uh, uh, father and son are just, uh, uh, just obsessed with the past to the point that they miss the picture of the present, you know. Episode two, V for Vendetta with guest host, Derek Flynn. The government, but it's like um, since mankind's um, dawn, a handful of oppressors have accepted the responsibility over our lives that we should have accepted by ourselves. By doing so, they took our power. By doing nothing, we gave it away. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and literally, we we did, like we consume what they give us. We accept what they tell us. And it's and that's when I read that last night. And again, I read it this morning. And I was like, literally, we just accept what we're told and we just go along with it. And this this book, honestly, just like honestly, I couldn't have read this book at a better time. If yeah. I'd read this a couple of years ago probably wouldn't have had such relevance to me um, and as, as you said mark i'm actually thinking i'm thinking the exact same thing when i finish it i think i really need to go as many times as i've read it before i, I just saw it in a whole new light when i read it this time and i was like you know what i need to go back and read this again because there's so much there that's speaking to me now that didn't speak to me maybe 10 or 15 years ago you know episode three scott pilgrim's precious little life volume one with guest host robbie billups but i love how as he defeats each progressive villain he gets more loot out of it and it's just kind of a fun wild thing to do it's a neat way to make the book a little bit more interesting there's a lot of independent slice of life um kids in their 20s trying to figure out life and relationships there's a lot of books like that especially during this time to add in that element of fantasticness based on old school retro video games because they're they're and, and i guess it's not they weren't as old school back when this book was first being uh, developed and written. But uh, I, I, I think it's a really ingenious way to make it stand apart from the rest. And it also, I think, reflects the emotional journey of Scott throughout the six books um, as, he's, he, as he's leveling up, basically, as you will, and 
and the way it's connected to Ramona and there's a mystery and it's, it, if you didn't know about it, it would take you by surprise. But the way that all the characters go along with it, you can't help but as a reader, go along with it as well. And it mm -hmm. is so fun. Episode 4, Monstrous Volume 1 with guest host Ali Burke. Beautiful but violent sort of familiar story. I think Jasmine makes a very good point about how the artwork kind of softens it a bit. I actually like was taking pictures of the pages because <laughs> they were just so, the art is so beautiful. In oh, yeah. It's just, it's mesmerizing. It really is. Um, we would come across this sort of thing in other stories. And like Jasmine said, like our current timeline things that we are dealing with, um, but not something necessarily I've seen in comics before. It's fantasy, yeah, but it brings light to, you know, other issues throughout the world that are happening, so. Episode five, March, book one with guest host Deborah Taylor. You know, we built ourselves up because we knew that we couldn't falter when it mattered. And I thought that was such an important part of the book, because as I said earlier, um, people need to understand that people worked really hard. They didn't just mm -hmm. show up at a counter and say, I'm going to sit here for, you know, a cup of coffee until they drag me out. People right. trained. People had workshops. People had uh, people who came in and, and really were um, facilitators and helped them to understand what was going to happen and to prepare, that they had a strategy mm -hmm. and they thought about it and they planned it because they knew that it wasn't, you know, you had to, that was the way you had to approach it. You couldn't just show up. You had to be prepared. And that's what comes across in, in March was how hard they worked behind right. the scenes in addition to what they went through um, once they were out there facing, you know, mobs or facing police or whatever. Episode 6, Akira Volume 1 with guest host Mello Brown. There's so much uh, being made right now that I wonder how much is influence or if it's a sign of things in time, to, like history tends to repeat itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of what's being done here around like the, the time that this was being made, especially in Japan, where they were having like this economic boom. And, and like, this is definitely a story of like people being left behind and their fears of uh, who they'll be and what they'll have to be going forward and the people who are stronger than them and how, what they'll do to them and how they'll treat them. And uh, <laughs> clearly that is very relevant today. And uh, <laughs> yeah. there, there's like different economic surges going up and down. Um, there's going to be lost generations uh, after this pandemic and things like that. And there's so much in regards to what cyberpunk is about like two main things being like a your identity and who you're going to be going forward and then the other thing which is uh you know like if you were to define everyone's fear in this book and then everyone's fear in the world right now particularly in america and what we're going through um every faction has the exact same fear and that's a fear of being erased and uh, that is such a huge thing in this book. And like, so that, that's why I kind of wonder, like a lot of influences that it has on something else. I wonder if it is a sign of things just kind of like repeating and everyone has a different way of expressing that. You know what I mean? Episode seven, they call this enemy with guest host Deborah Taylor. The part when they got to that first camp in Arkansas and they were like, 
or the first camp in California and they were in horse stables. Yes. I didn't know that that and, had happened. Yes. And he, he, he's a kid. So he thinks yeah. it's a great thing to sleep yeah. where the horses have slept. So, you so, know, but you know, but the same token, you, you can imagine the horror because his mother, especially from his mother, who was such, she was trying to take such good care of her kids. Mm-hmm. And then to have, you know, to have no control over the kind of and like she's asking where are the beds we know where are we going to sleep mm-hmm. and so you just really see the day-to-day um humiliations yeah. that yeah. were part it's one thing just the whole idea we've rounded up all of these people but in inside of that are day-to-day humiliations yeah episode eight the killing joke with guest host stephen fox yeah why why do you think that this book is as polarizing as it is honestly it is um it from one page to the next a traditional batman fan will have no idea what's going to happen and i think that that's compelling i think that that's a powerful thing to have on your side as a writer Uh, ultimately though i feel like the execution of this concept uh was somewhat juvenile um and and it was not to the level that that alan moore is capable of um and its overall treatment of the the female characters was just kind of something that i feel like is um pretty much kind of inexcusable and uh and even more atrocious episode nine persepolis with guest host dr Lindsay meeks i think I mean, I think actually its simplicity is its strength to some extent, and at least in terms of this particular way that that she's trying to, uh, you know, tell this kind of memoir fashion of, of storytelling. And this is, you know, very pared back. It's very, you could even say like rough and, and child life and like in some of its depictions of things, you know, like when she shows tears, she draws little teardrops. It's like mm-hmm. rolling down their face. <laughs> um, and I think that plays well with a lot of it in terms of both it feels, especially the front half of the book where it feels where she's more of a child, where it meshes so well with the text. You feel like um, that's how you might've drawn when you were that that kid. And in other parts, I think it's really serious and it does a good job of depicting, I think if we saw some, you know, sometimes she depicts torture. And if you actually had like some big gory over the top mm-hmm. scene of someone being dismembered, um, you know, maybe you'd appreciate it from like, oh, look at that really great colorist job of things, right? But it also would be very different than in here where she really just shows like black and white, like someone just went and chopped the body parts off. And there's something Mm -hmm. to me that was like really like, that made me stop and say like, it's not how you would think about it as an adult, but this kind of childlike view of Mm -hmm. thinking about what torture looks like in this really simplistic way, I found actually made me stop and think more about how, hard all of this must have been um and i don't know if i would get that same feel if i saw like some gory over the top you know 24 style depiction of torture and we're back i hope you enjoyed that little montage of (laughs) of clips from the last 12 months so like jasmine said 12 months but 10 episodes in 12 months so we started in october 2020 uh and then we took two months break this year where Mine, mine and Jasmine's life was a little bit crazy. I think mm-hmm. it's more my, my, I think it's more my <laughs> life actually. I, I was like a little bit under the cosh of a few things. So I was like, I need to skip a couple months. But <laughs> so we've had a good chunk of mixture of books mm-hmm. and a good chunk mixture of guests from yeah. all walks of life. Oh yeah. Um. So you know, 
basically from um so from like like you just said you know from from serious to fun covered obviously a huge spectrum and have you got any favorite books uh from those nine episodes actually i do um i i still think like as a as a very very close like honorable mention or runner-up my second favorite would be march book one um i think that's probably one of my favorites because of my personal ties to some of the things that happened during the civil rights movement and and some of the ways that that uh that my family interacted with that so i actually got a little bit emotional when we were recording that episode so that one's definitely one of my favorites but i think my favorite book surprisingly was v for vendetta i mean i just really really enjoyed reading v for vendetta and it just fits so well with the like the times if it was a perfect book to read at the at the perfect time that we read it v for vendetta when it came i remember when we recorded that episode the uk had gone down gone into a, a second national lockdown mm-hmm. and when reading that book it was so eerily similar to yeah. like words that politicians were using like to, you know, to sort of lock us down so to speak I love that whole episode with Derek as well I guess maybe because he's Irish and I'm English and just the, <laughs> no no just I mean the sort of the similarities because obviously he's only he's only a short two-hour flight from me so yeah. it's sort of the similarities I guess in how our countries run were very yeah similar. that was the first time we've ever had three countries represented on our podcast yeah no that was true yeah so and actually I think you made that comment in the episode um what I love about this whole book club though is there's a lot of books on here <clears throat> mouse and v for vendetta especially were two books i've always wanted to read mm-hmm. and have never got around to reading and because i know they're such big books like as in the content they're hard to get into um i'd kind of always put them off and mm-hmm. mouse i'll be honest i picked up a couple of times and v for vendetta i picked up a couple of times get a page or two into it and I'm like, oh, this is too much, like, or I get busy or whatever. And what and I said to you, what I loved about having guests and having record, like we would set up, so how it would work with this episode is we would agree a time and a date with our guest. So that kind of was a deadline. So mm-hmm. so giving myself deadlines to read some of these books actually worked really well. I mean, so, so books I found tougher to read was Mouse, V Vendetta, um and akira oh actually in prosopolis to be honest those four i found the toughest to read Mm -hmm. not not because of necessarily themes but because of the sheer volume of text like that was in all of them like and i know akira did have some massive splash pages uh which were just brilliant to look at like and really sort of popping popping your eye out one of the things i have noticed though throughout the nine books though the amount of books (laughs) that we read that have got there's black and white yeah Yeah, I think it's because a lot of the stuff that we have read has been sort of we're about half and half. So we're like half of it is is memoir or in the vein of nonfiction. So Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those were colorless, so to speak. And then, of course, our one manga that we've read in Akira. Um, But I've I've really enjoyed this series and I'm I'm so glad that we started doing it. And I, I really am looking forward to what we do with it in the future. But it it opens up the conversation for serious things that I would never have researched like on my own. Like I would never have read it just a like 300 page book about the Holocaust or a 300 page book about, you know, Japanese internment camps. But did I read a 300 page graphic novel about? Yes, I did. Um, So it just, it sort of 
gives you the opportunity to learn about something that actually happened without it feeling like a bore or a chore. I think from the nine episodes, Thief and Dare is a book that stands out for me. It's the book mm-hmm. that I <clears throat> so it's the book that I've referenced the most. Um the other book, Scott Pilgrim, um, we did this after Mouse of Beef and Dare. We were like, oh, those are two tough books. So we deliberately were like, we need to go with something softer. So Scott Pilgrim yeah. was actually quite a nice cushion. And yeah. and actually having me, you and Robbie of all sort of similar ages, yes. we kind of were really relating it to our younger days, yeah. which I'm um, which I loved about that. So um, I want to talk about the guests as well that we've had. So through technology, me and you have been able to meet some wonderful people around the world. Absolutely. You know, Los Angeles, Ireland, you know, so many different parts of America. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly we've had Americans, but in fact, actually, Derek is probably the only person <laughs> who's not an American. We'll work on um, that for next year. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll have to get some more British people on. So, um but a lot of the books, I think, have fitted well to, I think, having American perspectives. So mm-hmm. we deliberately went with V for Endeavor having a, um, somebody else on who's from this side of the world. So yeah. um, I think as we go into next year, so we know what the next couple of books are that we want to do. But I definitely think we should. There's one other book that we've put off um, because of how tough, well, how tough we think it's going to be. Um, it's Watchmen. So I think that will have to be something on the agenda for mm-hmm. 2022. So, um, but yeah, as we, as we turn the corner into the late to the party um, book club, I think they, those are kind of books that we'll probably have to pull in eventually, but no, with late to the party, the idea of late to the party is simple. These are classic books. Uh, if you search on Google and look up literally essential graphic novels, most of the books that are on here are in different people's lists here mm-hmm. and there like and we we haven't just we're not we haven't just pulled from one website's essential list we, we kind of they were we, we, it was a combination of ones we believe personally are essential and yeah. ones that, that are on other people's essentials and we've kind of we've actually written a long list ourselves it goes yeah. on goes on well into the 30 numbers <laughs> and the 30 and 40 numbers at the moment so, so. yeah we've got book club content for years to come guys yeah. you're welcome we haven't we haven't written a, we haven't written a Pacific order for them. We kind of just like we line up the next two or three, but um, normally, and we try to line up the next two or three guests as we're going. But um, but no, honestly, having all the guests that we've had on as well, they've added such wonderful insights. I have to say, probably Deborah has been a historian, um, librarian. I found like she's been on twice. I found her knowledge to be so like brilliant. I, yeah. Like, so we have, before we're recording, we have pre and after show chat as well. And I'm like, I don't want Deborah to go. <laughs> so <laughs> like, she's so knowledgeable. So um, just the, I mean, I've loved everyone that's been on, but just her knowledge is so vast. Um, I guess, you know, her experience and she's, you know, been around a little bit longer than us, not obviously trying to say any ages, but like she has been. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she, I think her knowledge I just found so valuable. So if I ever one day get a chance to meet up with Deborah, I'd love to, you know, I can imagine just you'd go to a pub and probably wouldn't leave for like four or five hours. Yeah. So, she, um, and the, the craziest thing with Deborah was we actually, some little background here, we had another guest lined up for that first episode of uh, March, but that fell through. And so I reached out to sort of my friend group and I was like, Hey guys, this is uh, the graphic novel that we're reading. Do you have any suggestions? And literally I, I asked five people 
and all five people suggested Deborah. And one of them was like, I'll put you in touch. And um, I am still super grateful for that because that was, that was like the best new meeting that I've had in a long time. It was, it has been such, such a joy to get to listen to Deborah speak. So let's move on into this month's review. So September's graphic novel is actually two graphic novels. So our book club, we covered the first two volumes of Mm -hmm. Why the Last Man. We'll talk about that in a minute. So So the writer is Brian K. Vaughn, pencils by Pia Guerra, Goran Suzuka, Paul Chadwick, inks by Jose Marzan Jr. Publisher is Vertigo. And the original run of Why the Last Man was September 2002 to March of 2008. So the now defunct Vertigo line, which was the big, big, big thing back then, Vertigo. Unfortunately, Vertigo is gone. And um, actually, the copy I read of Why the Last Man is the new compendium that reprinted the first 31 issues. And it's got the black label on it now, not Vertigo. So Vertigo is long buried now. Um, But Vertigo was a brilliant creator-owned line that DC had. Honestly, people always wanted their stuff at Vertigo. I I pretty much used to read... There's at that period of time and why the last man came out, I used to read pretty much anything that came out of Virgo at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so quick summary here. So we're covering book one, um, which collects issues one to 10, or if you want to look at that individually, there's two volumes, mm-hmm. uh, volume, volume one and volume two. So volume one is the story arc unmanned. And the second story arc, which is issue six to 10 is cycles. Unman sets up the world um, of of Yorick Brown and Why the Last Man. The first issue opens on the first page, basically literally says all the men are dead on the first page. (laughs) Uh, Then the first issue flashes back and shows us how we got to that point. When I say flashes back, it flashes back like 20 minutes and then shows us all the key key moments that are in place. Um, And then the following four issues introduces us kind of to the world that we're in uh introduces us to the main players has a post-apocalyptic feel about it mm-hmm. um and then issue six kicks off cycles which is yorick and his friends that he finds within the the first five issues go on um probably like road trip really is the only way to describe it like yeah. um <laughs> so, uh and then we spend most of the second part of of the you know of the issues six to ten in some small town America what was it called like Mar- Marsville or something Marsville like that. Like, yeah yeah like m- small town America like you know yeah, I, I I you know as a, as a guy who's only tourist in America I've never been to anywhere like this but I, I I've read about it and seen it on many a TV or film. I'd love to go to one of these places. <laughs> uh, I am very much like Valentina at the end of black widow where she is where she tells yelena that she's allergic to the midwest so (laughs) (laughs) i'd like to go to it for experience just to see like if these places are as real as i'm sure they are real but like i just would love to see it anyway so um and also in this small town in Marsville, we'll cover, we'll go into a bit more detail. The women that they find in this small town all have a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we might as well see what the secret is now. The secret is that all of these women that run this town were their own community already. They'd already had a community going of just women, but these mm-hmm. women were in prison. And um, I thought that was quite a cool twist. Yeah. Uh, we also then, throughout all 10 issues, have a storyline which is smaller which will play out long after these 10 issues are gone. Um, Alta, her name is, and she has a private military uh, from abroad. 
and she is slowly looking for Yorick and is being directed by somebody in the White House who we don't know. We also have another group of women, uh, current century Amazonians who have decided. Yeah, daughters of the, of the Amazons. Yeah, so they've decided that men dying is a good thing. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm not sure if they really thought that forward in terms of the future of life. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Um, the twist here, though, is that Yorick's sister has become an Amazonian. So we see her at the very first issue. She's a paramedic. When we pick up with her later, she's decided to cut one breast off and join the Amazonians. So they've decided that cutting one breast off is makes it easier to um, shoot arrows. I think I actually have heard that before. I, I have not decided to Google that and look into that. I didn't really think that was something to, to Google. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, like, <laughs> Yeah, anyway, that always reminds me of that one time I typed in something is killing the children in the comic book and my daughter said, why have I Googled how to kill, <laughs> how to kill the children? So I was like, no, 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 I didn't type that in. Nope, <laughs> too it. late. It's too late. So anyway, uh, when issue 10 ends, ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. We'll talk about that though as we get to the end of the review. So, so this, by the way, the whole of Why the Last Man is only 60 issues. So we've already covered, you know, a good chunk of it really already 10, 10 issues what was your summary of reading this uh first 10 issues so so by the way before we jump into this i already read this i read it in 2002 mm-hmm. i read the whole six issues as it came out m- monthly actually i think i picked it up around issue five um and then managed to get the first five issues and then carried on reading it i just have to put my hands up and say i was a moron and sold these comics <laughs> and uh now would be the perfect time to sell them so not I, I i wish i'd never sold them unfortunately when i first got married just never have any money and made a big mistake so i've had to <laughs> reread this in graphic no- novel format so i read this originally so Obviously, this is your first experience of reading these. What what were your thoughts? I think I'd read like the first couple of issues a few years ago, but I never kind of continued on with it. I did like what I read. I just. um, Life is busy. Yeah, I just didn't continue. Um, So when I started reading this again, I literally had to stop halfway through the the first volume because I was like, when did this come out? Uh, Because it really feels like this literally could have come out in 2021 because some of the things that happen early on in the book i'm like didn't that just happen like didn't didn't we just have armed people try to like storm the capital and not try they did but um so my first impression of this was good grief i'm sure when this first came out in 2002 which is almost 20 years ago at this point like people probably read that and were like that would never happen in real life like this is so this, you know, this is so far out there and come to find out that in the middle of a pandemic with a country divided, that's exactly kind of how things play out. So I think the whole um, sort of fiction and reality blurring the lines is really interesting, but I wish I had read it before this all happened so that I could kind of have a, a comparison in my head of how it felt like to read this before Corona and then what it feels like to read after Corona and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I dug this book. I mean, I really couldn't put it down. And I, again, it was one of those reads where I had to stop myself from going further because I totally would have just kept reading it. It was, it's a page turner. Um, 
the content is really kind of engrossing. And like I said, because of the events that have happened, well, not just in 2021, but like some of the events that have happened from 2016 until 2021, it's like a lot of this stuff that seemed so far-fetched before um, is not so far-fetched now. So that was a really interesting lens to read this book with, I'd say. Uh, I'm trying to think, 2002... I can remember when I was in, I was in Brighton um, and I saw like maybe issue five or six of why the last man on the shelf didn't know anything about it. Like I just grabbed it. I was like this. And do you know what? It was the covers, like the covers to me, it's just amazing. So I, I looked at it. I was like, this looks pretty cool. And around that time I did get into quite a few sort of vertigo comics fables. Honestly, I've, I've still, uh, luckily I've still got all of those and never sold them. Um, but I started to get into other things like, um, Witchblade and and um, other other independent comics. Um, I was even picking up things like Aspen comics, like um, Fathom and things like that, and just trying to bridge into different worlds, like just outside of Marvel and DC. So mm-hmm. I, I read all sixty issues of Why the Last Man. So I I read it all. I read it monthly, and sitting down today because it was before obviously we recorded today, and um, I, I finished. Sorry. I've, finished the first 10 issues today a couple of hours before we start recording and honestly when i was reading it was more the second arc and i was like this is so good i forgot yeah. how good i forgot how good this was um and i and i actually thought you know the reading experience of sitting down and just reading it all in one go versus how i read it monthly now i do remember um coming up to issue 60 i actually did reread it all um mm-hmm. to kind of give me that like final issue buzz uh, but honestly, this this whole book is just so good. Like I'm like I st- I made myself stop at issue ten because I didn't want to go into issue eleven for this episode and kind of I actually can't really remember too much. I remember bits and pieces, which I'm because yeah. it was almost twenty years ago now. Like I'm actually glad that I've kind of forgotten it, so I'm really looking forward to carrying on with this. But these first 10 issues are just, they're just written so well. Like yeah. Everything, everything flows, everything clicks there. It, nothing is jarring. It doesn't ever feel like you get taken out of the story. Everything flows so well together. So, you know, it was a cold day today, but I went and sat in the garden and read this. <laughs> so, and I was just like laying there, like oh, my family was shouting at me going, why are you out so cold? Anyway, like it's so cold, but I was like, I couldn't move. I was like, so like engrossed in this book. Um, honestly, like this book is just so good. Like mm-hmm. Brian K. Vaughan has written, honestly, one of the, to me, one of the true masterpieces in comics here. Like this is, yeah, it's going to be difficult to say this, but in the last year, this probably is going to stand out as one of my favorite books on this podcast, like in this book, like to the party book club. It is honestly, I'm glad that we read the first two volumes because we've really got under the skin of this book, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I definitely think the first two volumes kind of sets up, you know, the idea of how this book runs. So, um, I, I, you know, I love it. Like I would, I recommend this to anyone. Oh, this is the other thing as well. I would recommend this to people that have never read comics. So I used to do that all the time. If I was chatting to people and they're like, people have always, people that don't know anything about comics have always got a perception that comic books are Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, yeah. maybe, maybe X-Men, Avengers. Capes. That's the, it's all capes. Yeah, capes. yeah. They, they, you know, they might, you know, things like Arrow as well, but that, that's their perception. It's superheroes only. And and I'm like, no, man, there's so many other, you know, literally comics. You have 
all me all genres all all everything you know it's just like tv but it's a comics it's all like mm-hmm. it's just like books that you walk into a bookstore like you'll get fiction you'll get non-fiction you know and like we like we said in the 10 episodes how many of them were historical books that we never thought we'd read before right but why, why the last man is something that i re- why the last man and fables are two comics that even to this day i still recommend to people to like to pick up if you've never read a comic and you've kind of got an interest Honestly, go and pick up the first volume of Fables, the first volume of Why the Last Man, and then come back and tell me you don't like comics. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, the parts of this book really remind me of Sweet Tooth. Um, yeah, I definitely. I see that similarity. Yeah, and it turns out I I just went back and re, re-looked at our Sweet Tooth episode, and uh, Sweet Tooth came out right on the heels of Why the Last Man finishing, which Sweet Tooth is also a Vertigo imprint, so... Um, yeah, like the there's a sequence on on a train that really made me think of Sweet Tooth, the whole like plague and the whole uh, unnatural supernatural element to it. Um, lo- lots of similarities, but to me, this one this one has more characters for you to sink your teeth into. So with Why the Last Man, it doesn't. It it really does feel like an ensemble kind of thing. Um, I. Oh man, I just I like I said I am I am so like I have my I'm itching to like keep reading because I just want to know I want to know what happens in in the in this book and by the end and and how we have this this one random dude and a monkey that managed to survive. I mean I, well, I have forgot. ideas and theories, but I forgot to mention Ampersand. So yeah, so when all the men die, there's only two men left or two males left, mm-hmm. Yorick Brown and his male monkey, which yeah. I actually think is the part that makes it so interesting. Okay, just having one man, fine. But the fact that it's the man and the monkey that were together. And the male and, monkey. Yeah, yeah, the male monkey and the mm-hmm. male, and, you know, the actual male man and the male monkey like the fact that we've got a male human that survives and a male monkey that mm-hmm. were together in the same room at the same time that that basically the shit went down like they're the only ones left and they talk about this throughout the first 10 issues like how the only pigs that are left are the female pigs the only yep. animals that are left are the female animals mm-hmm. so men didn't just die human men didn't just die all males died all, all of the, anything with a Y chromosome is dead, <sighs> dead, dead. Oh, oh yeah. So what I want to know is, oh, shit boy, I've forgotten his name, but the guy from Jurassic Park, life will find a way. Like, you know, <laughs> it, like Jeff Goldblum's you know, character. <laughs> yeah, I know. I forgot. I've forgotten his buddy. Malcolm. Name, Malcolm. Yeah, yeah. Malcolm. Like, will Malcolm be right? Will life find a way? Yes. So he uh, will be right because life always finds a way. Well, obviously Yorick Brown. Yorick Brown was obviously the, the 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 way through to find a way. So anyway, so characters in this book. So our main characters are Yorick Brown, our male uh, agent three five five. So we'll talk about. So just side note. So do when you're reading this, do you call her three five five or do you call her three fifty five or three hundred fifty five? Like, how do you address her when you're reading? Oh, it? in my in my mind, I'm saying three five five. Okay, I say three fifty five. Let's see what that TV show does. Yeah, so, seriously. Uh, I would just say 355. Like, I mean... Just wondering. I, I don't think... So obviously, if you were to read this in a math sense, you'd say 355. I don't think people would say that to a person. Oh, hello, 355. Mm-hmm. So I, I say 355. Like, yeah, that's true. Well, we, well uh, 
no one says zero zero seven they say double oh seven yeah but yeah they do yeah still i don't know just oh, yeah yeah just question so, yeah, three double five. No, I don't think three double five works for me. Three mm-hmm. five five, three five five, three fifty five. I could see you. Yeah, I could see your one. Yeah, like, yeah. but I say three five five. I don't know. I'm curious now. Like, <laughs> really, really throwing me off it. Like, anyway, so main characters, Yorick Brown, are only a man um, in the book. Well, um, anyway, Agent three five five, who is a spy, and we'll talk about the spy thing in a minute. Then we have Dr. Allison Mann, who has also an interesting role in the book. Um, then we have Yorick's sister, Hero. Then, of course, we have Ampersand, who is the monkey that we referred to. So we have a background character throughout the 10 issues called Alta, uh, who runs... Uh, Israeli uh, Special Forces. Yeah, so she's getting directions from somebody in the White House. We don't know who it is, but it's very background. You could read these 10 issues and almost phase her out of your mind. But, it's, but we'll talk about that again in a bit. So she's obviously been sewn in for bigger stories later on. I um, imagine may- she's going to be like, if we're comparing this to The Walking Dead, she's going to be Negan. She's going to be that evil that just goes from episode to, or season to season to season. I can't remember the ins and outs of her story, to be honest. <laughs> um, I can't, I can't. But I do think I remember who the person in the White House is. So I will not say. Um one I won't say to spoil, but also won't say in case I'm wrong. Like so, <laughs> I, that's you know that's the good thing about twenty years later picking this up. I can't remember everything. Yeah, so, so it's like reading it for the first time. It's not like you know sometimes when you pick up a Who Done It and you do remember the murderer, like mm-hmm. like, like Scream, like you know, and you know, like all horror movies when you know who the murderer is or the, whatever it is. This isn't the same thing because like because there, there's so much to this. Yeah, like. I do remember how Yorick and the Amazon survive. I can't, I actually genuinely can't remember what killed all the men. I've completely forgotten. Like, so, which actually I'm quite pleased about that I've forgotten. So, anyway, so Victoria is the leader of the Amazon women who, um, so they're the kind of, you know, if you imagine the first 10 issues as season one, mm-hmm. I imagine that she's kind of like season one villain. Yeah, so. she's she's very. What was that guy's name with the one eye in Walking Dead? The sheriff? Oh, the you know, the guy who ran the prison. I know who you're talking about. I've completely forgotten. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. I call him the sheriff. I think that's that's it. That's it who she reminds me. Okay. No, it wasn't the sheriff. It wasn't sheriff. Shit, he's an English actor as well forgotten um anyway but yeah i know what you mean he was like the precursor to negan and yeah you know but i mean if you i i haven't read the walking dead comics but that tv show made a mistake like they they, they brought him back again it was annoying like i just i find they do this in a lot of tv shows just let your villain go just letting them go like mm-hmm. i know they're popular but they, you will get another popular villain and um, all the other current, all the other trope in TV shows is to, okay, we can't keep them going as a villain, so let's find a reason to make them join the superheroes. Yeah, no, like, I hate or, that. Or, or, or the heroes. That. It works occasionally. It works occasionally. Like, but like, uh, I used to love Farscape, and they literally did it with every single. In fact, they made a joke out of it, going, "Is this what happens now? Like, they chase us, they try and kill us, then they team up with us." <laughs> <laughs> like they actually turned it into a joke at the end, but they did it at the end with um, uh, Scorpius or whatever his name was, who was the main, who was like their big, big villain. Yeah. Like, and, then, and then in the final season, he teams up with them. It was like, no, like, 
bad but, guys can be bad. Like let let's just let the bad guys be bad. There's nothing wrong but, with that. But even in the team up in uh, Farscape in the final season, it was very much like with the big with their sort of their villain from season two to yeah. season five, whatever. <clears throat> that team up was very much not one of best friends so um it was definitely one on edge but that 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 was actually kind of cool anyway i've really gone off on a tangent here so what i love about victoria is she does have an ending at the end of issue 10 which i I actually think is brilliant it was well earned for sure it was it was well earned but what i love is that brian k vaughan was not afraid to Mm -hmm. let the villain go like and this is where constantly people just I mean, if you look at compared to superhero comics, like how often do you not let villains go? But then the, I guess super superhero comics are infinite. They will never end because Marvel and DC mainly are in this forever and they're corporations, you know, that, that know that they've got these brands that they need to keep going. So, um, well, I mean, let's pe- be honest, we're not selling merchandise from this comic, you know, like when, yeah. when you're not, when you don't have a merchandising empire, to keep afloat then you do have the creative freedom to kind of actually kill people and keep moving i i you know i i doubt there is but i would love it if there was a why the last man final pop like like you know you can imagine it would be cute with the one with yorick and ampersand you know, I've just Googled it. There is none. <laughs> no, I might be wrong here. But anyway, but like coming on to merchandise, you're not selling merchandise for Why the Last Man. You're selling yeah. Spider-Mans and mm-hmm. whatever. So anyway, so leader of the Amazons. Anyway, so then our other, our same main character, you know, obviously we meet York, we meet a couple of politicians, including Yorick's mum. We also meet, and I think this is brilliant, is Margaret Valentine, who becomes president. And I can't remember exactly, but she has some position in like... She was the secretary uh, of agriculture. Oh, yeah, I thought it was agriculture. And basically, she she's now the highest ranking member of parliament. Yes. Um, well, no, it, we don't have parliament. Sorry, whatever you call it over there. <laughs> um, I, I've forgotten. What do you call it? Uh, well, she's the highest ranking member. So she that's how she becomes president. Yeah, of what? Like... Of the sort of of the cabinet. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which yet. is exactly what happened in Battlestar Galactica. Because wasn't wasn't she Mary McDonald's character in Battlestar Galactica, the Secretary of Agriculture as well? Oh, do you know that rings a bell? I think she oh. was. Yeah, uh, and also that thing happened in um, Kiefer Sutherland's TV show as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Forgot the name of that, but he's put aside. The um, head of state? No. Um, oh, I can't remember what that show is called. But yeah, oh. he was like third or fourth in line and wound up president. No, I don't even know if he was like third or fourth in line. I think he was like much lower than that. But he basically, they put basically every time your your parliament <laughs> meet up, um, shake hands and have question time or whatever you guys call it. Um, like they. Um, Someone always stays behind. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, freaking hell, it's going to annoy me so much. Like, I'm actually having to look it up. It's actually annoying me now. Um, oh, here you go. Designated survivor. Yeah. So apparently, I don't know if that is a thing. I assume it is a thing. So they put designated yes. survivor across. Um, who and then he looks out the window, and the whole of your um cab, you know, both Republicans, Democrats, whatever, it all blows up, and literally he is the only politician left. Yeah. And 
I mean, that that's like massive. Imagine if something like that happened in real life. So, dun, dun, dun. But, I, but I think, wasn't it in um, thing, um, designated survivor that each party put one person aside? So I think there was someone from the other party left. So, but anyway, so Margaret Valentine suddenly becomes president. And I thought that was pretty cool. So, you know, I, I think that... So we spend a lot of time in the first arc of Unmanned doing the introductions to the characters and putting the players in place. Mm-hmm. And then the second arc is kind of what I feel starts with the arcs that we're going to see mm-hmm. throughout the book where it is a road trip comic. So I think it's actually quite nice that we've read volumes one and two here. So volume one is pure introduction. Volume two is, right, okay, we've done the intro. Now you're going to start to see Yorick and co yeah. on, their, on their road trip. Let's so meet they- the team. It was like, it reminded me of like 80s um, TV, like Knight Rider and A-Team and things like that, you know, yeah. like obviously not, obviously not Cheeseball, but, you know, every episode is a different town. Um, and what I liked was that in, in the second arc, they're all on a train going to California and basically they all fall off the train because there's a bit of a ruckus. And well, or up in, in York's case, he was thrown off the train by yeah, some off the train. racist hillbilly lady. <laughs> but then they all end up in this town in the middle of nowhere and then basically they have an adventure that kind of um comes to an end um by issue 10 and you can just see that this is what's going to happen now from you know as we're going as we progress towards uh issue 60 so mm-hmm. <clears throat> what did you um think of like the artwork in this book like, um, so we got so before we say anything got covers and then interiors like what do you think about the covers first of all well i thought the covers were super high art like they were really um, sort of out there, far far more um, out there than the actual art inside the book, uh, which was really cool. Um, I enjoyed the covers, the, the, the different covers for each of the issues a lot. Uh, and the art on the inside, it wasn't anything like special to me. It was very just, I don't want to say generic, um, but it, it definitely gets the point across it. It's all, you know, within the same kind of color scheme. There's nothing, no, no real nuance to the art. Like sometimes in, in like the edited version of V for Vendetta, for example, they had, you know, like watercolor over the, uh, over the pencils where it was just kind of like, in EV scenes, things would be more pink and yellow. And then in V scenes, things would be more like blue. Um, but there's there's none of that kind of stuff. Um, the characters are drawn crisp. The They're very expressive. Um, you can definitely feel what the characters are feeling. Uh, it doesn't shy away from being graphic. Um, yeah, I mean, I dug the art. Yeah, do you know, those covers, they're like they could be posters like they could be framed on your wall posters and like the cover for issue 10 i i love the most like where you've got sonia who who yorick meets in this marsville town but i love the fact that she's got this tiny little black and white sort of picture of her with one hand on a bar and then you've got yorick in his sort of um sort of what do you call it it was like a big white jacket thing kind of oh his straight jacket no 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 not the straight jacket the um you know he's walking around um after the fall of all the men he kind of walks around those 
um, protective overalls. So you see him with that and the bag of the monkey. And then there's another picture of the helicopter, which is obviously Alter. Um, I love that front cover of issue 10. I think that's, that's a pretty cool cover. Like mm-hmm. I would probably have all the covers other than actually the first issue cover. The first issue cover, I think is amazing. Um, where Yorick is sort of slouched down and the monkey's on his shoulder. And we've got all these DNA particles in the background. I think mm-hmm. the first cover is really striking. So I, I love the covers. I think the covers are utterly amazing. In fact, it's making me now start thinking, how can I find them? <laughs> how can I find them? And how can I convince my wife to put them up on the wall? <laughs> so, like, we have, we have, we keep, there is one wall in this house. I have several times kept saying, can we put something comic related on? And uh, I generally get rejected. So, <laughs> keep, tr- keep trying, man. Uh, keep trying. I, I might just do it. Like just when she's out, just put it up, like find something. And, um, but anyway, um, in terms of the interiors, I do. I know what you mean when you say generic, but like, mm-hmm. it's not. It's not Jim Lee or whatever. It's not overly detailed, but I actually do enjoy this art, though. Yeah, it's, yeah. What What I like about it, and I would say that some other things could be criticised for some other books in general. Not talking about just necessarily our book club, but some other art. I find where where it is more of the generic simplified art style. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can go too simplified, and you're like, "Which character is this again?" Like, yeah. what I like about it is every single person I know who they are. The only yes. trouble I, I only got a little bit confused with the characters when they're in the White House with some of the women are wearing suits and stuff. I did get a little bit confused with who some of those people were, but other than that, you know, Agent Five Five Five, Doctor Allison Mann, Yorick Brown, and then even the women in Marsville. Actually, the women in Marsville, I definitely could tell that like I knew who everybody was. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had no difficulties pulling people apart. I felt like the facial expressions were like really detailed for what I would consider <clears throat> sort of simplified art. Yeah. Anyway, the, the inks. I definitely think reading this, and I, I'm trying to, unless it's just my memory, but this book feels like fresher. Like mm. reading this compendium, it feels fresh. Like like um like it just got more- a touch up. Yeah, like I don't know whether it did or not, but it feels like it did get touched up. I, mm-hmm. I, maybe I'm wrong, but may, or maybe it's just the printing techniques have changed since 2002, and they clearly have changed. Everything has changed. Since, yeah, well, no, I no, mean, but that's like, the thing with reprints because that's that's like the version of V for Vendetta that I have. That original book was black and white, but the book that I have is color, so it's possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I read digital, so I mean, it's it's hard to tell. Although I will say, I compared this to Sweet Tooth earlier. Um, now the art in Sweet Tooth is ugly and i don't mean that in a mean way but like all of the characters are just hideous like the way that they're the way that they're drawn the way that they look but it it works with that book um but this one like the characters are you know normal i would say like there's you know nothing it it just it works it there i don't have any complaints about the art like i don't really have anything specific to say like does it jump out at me no um but it it just makes for a cohesive reading experience i think i think definitely yeah there's definitely that it feels solid it feels Mm -hmm. consistent it doesn't Mm -hmm. let you down you can read it and enjoy it Mm -hmm. is it memorable are you going to remember this art in two or three years time no i'm not like no but i do remember those covers those covers are definitely like eye-poppingly gorgeous like Mm -hmm. but but what I, like you say though, it's consistent. It, it's not ugly. Like as in, I've read some books where I'm like, this art is so 
awful like mm-hmm. this this but this book is not this book is really nice artwork to read it goes well with the story and again this is what we said about in previous late to the party episodes where the artwork does suit the story like i yeah. i remember i remember years ago and i can't remember the illustrator but i remember reading a really really dark solid story about um it was an electra book the artwork was so cartoony and terrible and just it did not fit the story they were trying to tell like yeah can I, you imagine scott pilgrim and like painted on abs like batman or something oh uh, well, yeah, yeah again that, that, that wouldn't work so again right. although scott pilgrim's artwork is very cartoony it yeah. very much suits but the story suits that's it, told. Yeah. so like again if you took the artwork from scott pilgrim and applied it to why the last man it would not work no. so this is very much a serious book and the artwork is serious mm-hmm. and and it's straightforward and yeah, yeah I, I think it works and i do love the artwork i don't think it's necessarily memorable but i think it's like you just said it's consistent and reliable yeah. so that's all i've got to say about the art so right <laughs> i mean like you say it's not it's not going to change life the artwork the covers right. the covers though are are definitely but i don't think the covers if the covers were the interior probably would change my reading experience like, well yeah because like i i remember being confused um when i first started because like looking at the cover of the first issue and then reading the first issue it's like this is not what i was expecting because the cover like the character on the cover looks completely different obviously it's you know it's a different um artist but that that was the only kind of thing that tripped me up was like had to get used to the fact that all of the cover art was so completely different than all of the art on the inside. But again, that does not, it does not take away from the story at all. I know. Definitely. The ar- I mean, about- the art is good though. I, I the, oh, the, no. the women all have different faces. Like you said, you don't really get them confused. It, well, obviously, except for when they're in crowds, but I think, I think that when they were definitely at the white house, I found that a bit confusing because it was like you say, it was in crowds mm-hmm. and some of them were dressed very similarly, especially like the, the white house people were all in sort of suits and things. And I, I found that a little bit confusing, but, but like you say, when you get into places like Mars at Marisville, um, the, the, the small town America, every single woman had a different face. Every, mm-hmm. You could tell who was who. And although some of those characters had like more of a story, and then some of them were background. Even some of them, like, had, like, a one-point story, like, where they pulled Sonya away to have a quick chat, don't tell them a secret, whatever. You saw that same woman again later on, like, you know. So, anyway, let's talk about the mythology. So, what I love about this book is, although it's very serious, and we'll talk about themes in a minute, and the themes are, are actual themes, like, you know, they're not um, vampires, um, <laughs> like, you know, um, <laughs> I don't know why it's the vampires. Anyway, so, <laughs> but mythology-wise, there's loads of things in here which actually like really interesting. Like, you yeah, know, it and, almost feels like watching National Treasure. It's like, but in the background though, yeah. like in it's not. Uh, I wouldn't say a lot of it is at the forefront. So, again, it's very clever in terms of structure. And we'll talk about structure in a minute. But like stru- the structure of this book is that these things are put in the background 
which are done deliberately to get you like hooked. You're, you know, you're interested in these bigger things. So the Culpa Ring. So 355 is an agent of the Culpa Ring. And mm-hmm. actually, you told me that's real. I didn't actually realize that. Yes, it was actually a network of spies that were around in around 1778 uh, during the American Revolutionary War. They sort of, if you, anybody who's listening remembers, there was a series on AMC called Turn. Turn was based on the culpering and the spies. So it was a thing that existed way back, way, way back in the day. Founded by George Washington, by the way. I do you know though, here because you told me that before we start recording. I've never watched Turn, but I know what it is. And yeah. I'm like, I wouldn't mind watching that because this kind of intrigues me. I'm like, yeah. I want to know more about this culpering. So yeah. um, anyway, so when the big thing happens where all the men die in issue one. They have this, they have, they basically build up to it. So the first page shows all the men are dead. Then we jump back 20 minutes and we're kind of showing all these different characters and they're all building up to the event that kills all the men. And on that sort of page where we kill, we kill off all the men, there's a whole load of things happening. So Yorick has got a ring, which he found in some random shop. Mm-hmm. Um, a magic shop. Has this, has this, yeah, magic shop, but like, has it got, any magical ability about it you know do we know will we find out um we have alter who is obviously in the middle of the desert um like what i say they're showing all the different characters here and there we also have agent 355 who has this again sort of mysterious magical amulet mm-hmm. what is that amulet about will, will we find out more about the amulet, the amulet? Ah, but see the amulet she that, that she that took second- yeah, she was in Jordan. She was trying to get the actual owner of the amulet to come with her. That yeah. did not work uh, out. But the one, but yeah, before she said something, she was like, no, my father gave me this amulet and he told me it can never leave this country. It can't leave this country. Well, I'll tell I, you what, though, this... 355 sure did leave that country with the amulet. Well, so the pilot says, take it easy. We're about to hit Saudi airspace. Mm-hmm. So he's literally about to leave the country. Yep. So, and then the last thing we see is Dr. Mann, who we saw earlier in issue one, say she was pregnant with her own clone and she's just about to give birth to her well, own clone. It's not her clone. It's her nephew. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. 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 But a clone. Sorry, yes. A, a clone. clone. Yeah. Sorry. Not her clone. She's giving birth to a clone. A clone. Um, yeah. Um, and then the, so all these things are happening. We've got like these five panels and then it says now and then literally one by one, yep. every bloody man is dying. Like, so Hero's boyfriend who she's been um, making out with in the back of the ambulance. So he's got blood all over him. The pilot next to 355 head explodes. You know, we've got all the in the um, everyone in the military that alters with. They're all popping off. Um, we go to the White House and suddenly, like, one of the men is falling against the door, dying. Like, I mean, and also later on, they say, uh, well, actually, then the whole book sort of phases all around the world. You know, at the Vatican, um, you see a ref dying on the floor. NASA, everyone's falling down. Actually, it's a real key point here, like the power plants as well, like in mm-hmm. Russia. Um, and then actually what I think is a really quite a unique moment they show in kenya obviously trains crashing but if you see as well next to it two um uh 
giraffe and one standing and one fallen over. So obviously the woman is still alive, the female giraffe is still alive and the male giraffe has died. And then again, we're sort of still going through all these um, panels, again, showing us all these dead men. And suddenly the last page of the first issue shows Yorick um, like on the phone going, hello, and here's a bang out the window. And so we've seen all these men die mm-hmm. other than other than Yorick. So that that so these so that mythology is really built into the first issue. Yeah. Um, and although they talk about a little bit of the mythology as they're going through the next few issues, over the next nine issues that we've read, that mythology has completely been pushed aside to concentrate on one hour our sort of introduction to the characters and then mm-hmm. the journey the journey so our first part of this mythology is that actually yorick and 355 get sent by um, yorick's mum in the white house to go and get alice and man now the reason so i thought this is flipping stupid one man on earth and you send him out on a road trip like come on man so but their reason for that is actually it's too dangerous to leave yorick in one place i do mm-hmm. see that i do see that but like if you put him somewhere where nobody knew he was, then, you know, maybe that would be the more sensible thing to do rather yeah. than let's send our own email. Send him on a road trip. trip. It's a bit silly, like, but I understand it'd be a bit rubbish to have our only man just locked up in a bunker, like, for 60 issues. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it could have been interesting just to follow 355 and Dr. Man. Like, that could have been cool. But obviously it's the shock factor of everywhere they go. Oh, look, there's a man. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, so throughout, so yeah, so for the first issue, there's a lot of mythology here. And although a lot of it's pushed to the background, they meet up with Dr. Man in the first volume and um, she reveals about the clone. She reveals about her research and that kind of sets up the road trip element that, so her whole um, laboratory is set alight and she believes it's by the Amazons, but actually we find out that it was actually Alter and her mm-hmm. um, her um, soldiers that did it. And so that's where we begin the road trip, where she goes, well, I've got backups in California. So they've got to travel from Boston to California. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that that obviously is going to take up a good chunk of the book. And um, I, I, I do think it is cool that we've got the road trip element, but I equally think... Do we really need or Yorick, our only man, to be out on the road? <laughs> Since that's probably a bit silly. But no, anyway, so I love the mythology of it all. I love the fact that we've got these different things here. But I think what's cool is that Brian K. Vaughan has kind of given us probably lots of false leads. Like, of course. So which one is the reason why everyone died? So what do you think about like this mythology that's in this background here? Um, I think it's cool. I hadn't noticed. I mean, I, I definitely realized that people had like special objects, but I didn't really kind of put it all together until we started talking just before we recorded. Um, so I wonder how those things are connected. Like what's up with that ring? What's up with the amulet? What's up with the clone? You know, what, what is really going on? with all of those things, how are they all working together? Um, So I think the way that they have built that is very interesting. And it's super, super interesting because a man and a monkey survive as Uh opposed to just York surviving. So also that they were together. Mm -hmm. They weren't separate. They were in the same room. So, so why was it two males in the same room of different species survived when every man around the world at the same time died? I mean, that mm-hmm. wouldn't be, I mean, that would never be possible. Like, but 
what happened what did make it possible and that's right. what i love what i love is that um bkv sort of sets up all these potential things that are not possible and but all they're possible so mm. it's like you know is it the amulet the amulet leaving its country and they said there'd be a curse like there was a curse and it couldn't leave it was it the amulet was it was it the ring was it sense did the ring like was i think it sense- they're connected some kind of way but i think if if i had to put my money on it if we're going cursed object <laughs> i'm going with the mummy logic here and i'm going to go with the amulet from jordan like because anytime they opened up some shit in the mummy like the bad things happened they got the plague they got you know locusts they got blood in the rivers so i'm going with the amulet is the kickoff but these other things are tied to the amulet in some way. And so therefore they almost counter what the amulet has done. Mm-hmm. But so that's my theory is so I'm going to have to keep reading to see if, how, how close that is <laughs> very far off. I'm sure. <laughs> I generally can't remember what happened. I do. I have to say, I got my hands up. I do remember how Yorick and Ampersand survived. I do remember that. I won't reveal it, like, but um, you have to keep reading. So I actually am glad I can't remember how they died, like because that would be cool for me to now read that again. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of different themes in this book. Sorry, yeah. in these first ten issues, and I'm sure there's the themes in the next fifty issues too. But like we're obviously concentrating on the first ten. So politics is one yes. of them. Yes, it's a big one. Transgender is something that's minor but you could see it could be bigger like that comes up a few times um race is obviously um something that comes up too so let's talk about politics i mean you you obviously been the american in the uh two of us uh <laughs> why don't you hit it off with your view on the politics in this book i was again surprised at how prevalent it was um so in in the first book not the first issue but the first book the sort of the the thing that really jumped out at me was uh, literally a mob of widows gop widows storm the white house with weapons they have a hostage they get um at the time york's mom is sort of the highest ranking official in the white house at the time she comes out and she's like look we can talk this through. And basically the GOP widows are like, we want our husband's seats. Like you can't, you can't keep, you can't keep doing this. You can't just run the government on one party. Like you, you have to let us have those seats. And basically she's like, no, I don't. First of all, this is not royalty. Like just because someone dies doesn't mean that the next, uh, next, uh, next of kin gets to secede them. Um, and they were, then, saying, yeah, they, were saying, they were saying about holding the, the White House hostage or something like yeah. Right, right. So then the one of the widows points to another woman from the White House and she was like, well, your husband died and you got his seat. And she said, the governor appointed me at the time. Um, so to me, it's hilarious. The and, 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 you know, again, this this started this series started in 2002 and was wrapped up by 2008. So when this series was written, we didn't have a black president like at the time. You know, we still we were still under George Bush or W. And <laughs> it's it's amazing to me, the, the parallels and how they sort of paint these 
GOP people as like these extremists that would storm federal property to get their way. And that's exactly what they did in January of 2021, like storming the Capitol, uh, you know, pushing Congress out, going through like armed insurrectionists, basically. Um, So again, this book was 20 years ahead of its time. Um, So, but the politics to me, the, the way that everything is sort of written and woven together, you can't separate the politics from the story that Brian K. Vaughn is trying to tell. And that's what I like the most about the placement of the politics in this book. So for, again, for the, you know, comic crowd, that's like, I don't like politics in my comics. Well, like, don't read this book. Like it's, it's not for you because the whole thing is built on that foundation of we have a system and then something catastrophic happens. So what happens to the system after this catastrophic event? Um, and it doesn't feel preachy. It doesn't feel like he's trying to send a message. It doesn't feel like he's trying to push any of his own thoughts and opinions onto anything. It's just like he's built this story and the political element is, um, is just a thread within the story. Um, and I just, I, I like it. I... <laughs> And I think, again, if I had read this before 2021, I probably would have been like, yeah, I mean, even with a plague, like, I'm still sure that that wouldn't happen. Like, people aren't going to storm the Capitol or storm the White House. Um, and now I realize how wrong that line of thought would have been. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, when that did happen in real world life, I was like, man, like, I mean, if something like that happened here in the UK... I mean, they don't be arrested. Like, I mean, we do have armed police, but we don't have every armed, every, not every policeman is armed. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know what the instant reaction would have been, but I'm assuming the closer you get to Downing Street, they've all got guns. So yeah. there would definitely be guns around the Houses of Parliament and Downing Street 100%. Yes. I, I don't know. I don't know how they would have reacted to some angry mob trying to storm into prime minister's question time. <laughs> I honestly don't know. Like, I think we're too, we do protest over here. Yeah. But I definitely think we're too polite to go and do busting into, <laughs> into the house of parliament. So I think we, we like a protest. Like they, they do love protests. I've never personally done a protest, but like, I do know that people over here do protest and, you know, um, I'm not going to say where it was, but there was a protest five minutes from my house and, mm-hmm. um, it was something to do with jobs, like not political, but something to do with jobs. And um, <laughs> it was quite a big thing where I live. And um, it's one of those fire and rehire things. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody would drive past and beat their horns in unison with the with the people protesting because actually you kind of could see where they were coming from. Um, but I uh, know not down with storming any government. Yeah, well, government buildings. Well, well any civilised government anyway. So. Yeah. Another thing I liked with, with this whole, the whole political theme. Well, this one kind of moves into gender, but so we have a story that removes men from the beginning um, with the exception of, you know, York and ampersand. But what I loved the most about what I've read so far is that Brian K. Vaughn was not afraid to make women villains and, and to make them villains without it having to do anything with, motherhood 
which is one of my biggest pet peeves in all of pop culture is when there is a woman villain, but she is only a villain because something awful happened to her husband or her child. Um, which though technically, you know, all of these women's husbands died, but like, they just seem like general assholes <laughs> before like their husbands died. Um, so I, I, I do love that. And I love that he didn't shy away from there being a, a power struggle in the absence of men. Um, so, and I also thought it was incredibly interesting that the most civilized women in the, in the book so far was a colony of of former prisoners and it means like that was that was that was a really good twist um when you come to find out that the whole town of maresville is you know former female inmates but they live in harmony they have decided you know they set these rules for themselves before they settled in and then they all live by these same rules because they would rather live that way than to live behind bars um but yeah no i love i love a good villain and i especially love a good female villain so as much as i hated victoria um she she is an excellent excellent like villain oh yeah definitely i think she's really good strong villain mm-hmm. but i love the fact that they do kill her off at the end of issue 10 yes. like i 100 when that axe goes through her head yeah well, i you know i couldn't remember her dying or how long she stayed in it i didn't remember her as a character but when i was reading it i was like when we see her with the axe, I'm like, man, she did. Like, yeah. but, <laughs> she did, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, yeah. Well, this isn't one of those comics where resurrections happen. No. Like, that, um, that we know of. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not all the men aren't coming back at the end of this. So, like, I mean, the ones that died. So, yeah. Um, I, so, I actually, but I loved the bravery of killing her off. So, you know, you find out how evil she is, like, throughout the first 10 issues when she makes Hero kill another woman and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and also the brainwashing that she manages to do on these women. But yeah. when I, but I love the fact that like she does get killed off. So that yeah. was pretty cool. Anyway, it's come back into themes as well. So twenty years ago, this book came out, and I, I mean, if you think about the LGBT community, just mm-hmm. just even being gay like 20, 30 years ago was not common or as socially acceptable as it is like now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely something that is in a lot more media mainstream. Um, I mean, if you look at Supergirl that they've got their first superhero transgender um, actress, who's she's transgender in character and in real life. So during this book, they address that. They like, you know, they're initially when people see Yorick, they think actually this was (laughs) transgender lie. And he's like, no man, like check out the Adams app. (laughs) And, uh, and uh, that got me thinking. I was like, wow, like, I wonder if any transgender would ever go as far as, I don't know how that, like, if you can replicate an Adam's apple, I don't know if that's no, even can't. possible. Like, I wonder if there's anything you could do. Like, and um, I don't know, I don't like, I don't imagine there is, but like, and um, I don't really have a prevalent Adam's apple, to be honest. It's a bit, mine's a bit rubbish. Like, so, <laughs> like, and, um, but I was like, what a thing to suddenly mention, like, check out the Adam's apple. I was just like, okay, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Like, uh, yeah. Well, but that was kind of also his character, like, personality throughout everything. He's, he's like a smarmy, charming bastard. Yeah, he he goes from one extreme to another. I think with Yorick, yeah. he on one hand he's like Mister Know It All, and then mm-hmm. he's and then he's Mister Self Righteous, and then he's like trying to be a hero, but actually deep down he can be quite childish. Yeah. Um, 
so and then this is again the beginning of his character journey so even from the very start when he's asking beth to marry him over the phone which i just thought the whole conversation was clearly beth's not interested and you're like really like going about the relationship and it was like clear as day you can hear like she's oh i just need to talk to you about something like and you're like you know where this is going man you're just like She's about to dump you and you're like <laughs> trying to like say Propose. I love you. Yeah. And um anyway, but what so I like I like the fact that they do cover off the fact that they were, you know, the 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 women in the book have have or will have relationships together and um and the fact that the the transgender thing is brought up and that was something again 20 years ago was just not commonplace for media to to address. But I think it was great that Brian K. Vaughan was addressing it. And mm-hmm. when we get the TV series in September. I'd like to think that some of these things are gonna are gonna be brought across. Um, I think they will be because I think 2021 we're a lot more socially acceptable to hearing these things. I don't. I still think there's a big battle to be won here. I'm not saying that it's like instantly everybody's just suddenly holding hands and singing kumbaya, but like mm-hmm. I know that there's a much bigger battle to be had for a socially social acceptance of everything, race and 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 obviously your sexual orientation. But we're definitely in a better place now than we were 20, 20 years ago when this book came out. So yeah. I think it's great to see that in 2002 that Brian K. Vaughan was putting this in his book. So um, something I didn't know, um, talking about race and obviously racism, like you were telling me, I've never been to Boston, so I didn't. I would like to go to Boston, um, but yeah, you're telling me a little about some of the references in this book that I didn't know about before we started recording. Yeah, so there's actually a sequence with 355, as you say, and Yorick, where they're sort of rummaging through Boston to look for his sister, but they're only doing so at night. And Yorick is kind of like, why do we have to do this at night when we could just be, you know, walking around during the day? And 355 is like, yeah, okay, but this is Southie, like, and I'm still black. So (laughs) I don't want to be, I don't want to give them a reason is basically kind of what it boils down to. Um, And then a few pages later, or several pages later, when they are on the train and they're headed west, they, uh, of course, can't be easy. They get accosted on the train by uh, these two, like, hillbilly women. Um, And Basically, one of the women throws out the N-word and on the one hand, I understand why Vaughn wrote that that way, because it justifies 355's, you know, telling Yorick that, look, we're not walking around Boston during the day because Boston is still racist and I'm still black. Um, But there was absolutely no reason for him to use that word just it there just wasn't like you could have you could have presented racism in a much different way granted it is very succinct to just use the word because the word itself is very clear as day like you you are definitely racist if you use it um but it just it irks me to no end especially when white male writers use slurs so casually it's just like any other word in the English language you're just like throwing it into a sentence and it's like don't do that don't don't minimize the impact of the word um and again I understand you're trying to prove a point because you're trying to you're trying to say that three for five was right like you're trying to say look she said that she didn't want to do this because of the racist people that were out there and sure enough here are those you know some of those racist people that she was talking about I just think that that could have been handled in a much better way um again I think that there are ways to 
point out that they are racist without without using the word. Um, so that was that was my beef with that. What do you think, like, when Black people use that word themselves, though? Like, because I, I see it on TV and stuff, like, you know, like where one Black person, I, I've noticed more men, like, say, like one Black person's like, says it to the other one as a greeting. I always think, like, surely we just shouldn't be using it. But then... It's a different context. Um, and it might sound silly, but the the saying it with the ER on the end versus saying it with the, with, a. with the a it's a totally different context um and it's it's also a word that sort of black people like we reclaimed it for ourselves okay yeah so when when we use it it's it's just not it's not quite the same so like it it used to be a slur we took it and turned it into something else but it the original word is still used as a slur. I love that. Like we've taken it for ourselves. Like you know, yeah. Like, well, <laughs> but obviously in this book it wasn't taken. It was used in a derogatory manner. So yeah, but that, I'm just uh, saying. Like I just thought that that was too casual. Like and and when she when she first brought it up, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I've I've heard all kinds of stories about um, Boston and um, that kind of behavior. And then a few pages later, I'm like, really? Did we have to drop the N-word? Like, honestly, that was just... If he wasn't to use that word, like, what? how would you have... How do you think he could have addressed the racism? You could do it contextually. You could have... You could have give, it, yeah. yeah, you could have given those uh, those women a few more lines. Um, just even saying something rude or derogatory toward her, like, you could have made a reference to her hair or you know something like to me it if if people refer to like a black man as boy or a black woman as girl um those are kind of indicators Mm. so that that can be taken to be sort of derogatory um just i don't know there there was no other context to use the the word and it just didn't it just felt like he only used it to say to prove the point that he had made a few pages before that Mm -hmm. i think in a in a in a world like why the last man where clearly society is kind of being rebooted although Mm -hmm. we're kind of building it on the cusp of of what we had already you know like the fact that the white house still want to carry on as it was Mm -hmm. um and there's elements of pre pre-man i guess like <laughs> uh and then and now we're in this post-man world <laughs> um uh, you know i think but what we're seeing though is a uh, the fallout of society so what's you know th- these people that are racist they probably like well what's it doesn't matter what i say yeah well of course it doesn't matter like i'm not getting arrested yeah like, you know like no one's putting me in prison no one's blasting me on social media i can do what i want Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I mean those words would they become more common if you could just get away with them but from from a racist point of view like so i mean yeah okay they're not nice words to use ever like but i i really hope we don't ever go through society melting down because i i do wonder sometimes like <laughs> would we ever see the real the real side of people uh hell yeah, yeah. we would we would 100 percent 
yeah. Anyway, let's talk about the structure of this book. So we, we've read two two story arcs. We kind of talked a little bit about the structure anyway as we've been going. First story arc is um, kind of our intro. Second story is kind of like a beginning, like a bit of a show of what we're going to get as we're going. So, mm. um, but what I mainly like is how. Brian K. Warner's sown in the seeds. And we talked about this earlier with the mythology. He's sown in little bits of mythology, but he's also sown in like bigger, potential bigger storylines, like mm. as we're going, like even kicking off in the White House, you know, because I, I will, we'll come back to the White House um, at some point. So it'll be good to see how it evolves in terms of leadership and direction. Um, you know, and I, I even love this whole meeting beth end goal kind of thing mm-hmm. like you know like it's it's a little thing so so far we've not even seen what's happened to beth we saw her a couple pages in issue one i just i just love the the fact the fact that brian cable has clearly got a plan and i think you can see it when you're right when you're reading this book you can see there's a plan like you can see that there is goalposts that they need to hit so mm-hmm. i i really actually enjoy the writing it flows so well I actually love the structure. Like, although they tease a lot of stuff as they're going, I'm not bothered about the tease stuff. Like, I mean, well, I don't, I don't in a bad way. Like, I mean, I'm not getting getting hung up on it. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. getting hung up on the mythology because I'm actually enjoying there and then the moment. This mm-hmm. is like if you compare it to Lost, the the mythology was so big in Lost that you could actually get pulled away from the characters because I wanted to know about the bloody symbols on the roof of the hatch, you know, like, and like, I'd be, and the I'd be damn smoke. talking at work. <laughs> well, yeah, and the smoke monster, I'd be so like talking at work about all these things, but actually Lost was actually very much a character-driven story, like, but you could sometimes get pulled away from that because of the mythology. I love, what I think is that Brian K. Vaughan handles this really well, this book, like, so, um, and I'm pretty sure from memory that Brian K. Vaughan wrote some episodes for Lost. Um, so I, I think this book is done really well. I think he, it's really easy and enjoyable to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, really pull, pulls you in. Um, I love the fact that you're mainly caught, mainly interested in the here and now story. Yeah. But I, but I love the fact that he is slowly, slowly inserting things for later in the book. Yes, uh, because so far my favorite slow uh, drip is the Russian woman that everybody keeps writing off. I am very interested in this Russian lady. I want to know what she knows. Yeah, yeah. Because she knows some shit. So, so in terms of setting up stories later, let's talk about the end, how it ends. So the final page, well, final two pages, we go up to the space Mm -hmm. and we see a lady, uh, astronaut, who's saying that all this crap is broken. Mm -hmm. And then it turns around to two men in the space station. And that's the final page of volume two. (laughs) So what did you like? I know, I know I accidentally did say to you about a potential other man being alive. I didn't realize I had, I'd forgotten. But what did you think? Were you shocked? Well, it, it that's what really made me like it, it made me immediately think back to that Russian woman because she said, she said in the very first book, she was like, uh, no, there are men and I need to get to them. And they're like, where are there men? And she's like, uh, in the sky duh like um and then she kept saying like oh well you know i gotta go to kansas because that's where this the soyas is going to come down and i'm just like how does she know this like 
A, how did she know that men on the International Space Station survived? And also, how does she know that they're going to come down to Earth on a, like an escape pod and land in Kansas? Like, how do you know this? Um, so I, I was not surprised, surprised, A, because you had told me to, that there were other men, um, but like just now, now that's what makes me so interested to keep reading because it's like, okay. So we do have more men that survive. They were above the atmosphere. Like, so <laughs> that, that makes sense. Like it's plausible. Right. Um, mm. But at the same time, like, who is this Russian woman? How does she know this stuff? Is this something well, that she was working on? So kind of, it makes you think, well, actually like the only men that survive. So the only men that got killed off were within earth. So yes. whatever happened was within earth. It wasn't like, cause I know they, they address religion as well. Actually, it was a thing they addressed was like, you know, God decided to to kill all the men. Yeah. Something that came up in those first 10 issues. He didn't kill all the men. Like, yeah. you know, so I, but yeah, so I, I actually love that setup for going into the second, you know, sort of, sorry, the book, volume three, sort uh-huh. of the third, third arc. Um, but yeah, no, overall, I, I love these first 10 issues and, or two volumes as you want as you might want to call them but i honestly think that these two books are so good they're written mm-hmm. so well they're so so fluid and honestly they're just such good reads if i mean i know we've spoiled stuff as we've got along so yeah well you, now that we're done with them. it i'm ready to sit down with the tv show which came out um on the 13th so i'm i'm definitely ready to dive in uh because i think that you had said earlier that this the structure is well suited for television um, so I am very, very interested to see how this plays out on TV. Um, so, so they've been trying to turn this into a TV and a movie for years. Mm-hmm. I think like a long time ago, like somewhere between five and 10 years ago, this got announced it's been made as a movie. And I was so annoyed. I was like, no way. Like hope, you know, 60 issues into one movie. I thought they better be turning this into some sort of bloody Lord of the Rings extended edition movie then. Like, and, um, <laughs> and, or, or, like or, or Lord of the or bloody trilogy of some sort. Because I mm-hmm. thought they can't shove all of this into a one and a half hour, two hour film. Um, anyway, so when I heard that it wasn't happening, I was like, oh, thank God. Like, so, <laughs> uh, but like, the, when, you know, obviously, like you say, the TV series is coming out and from memory i think it's 10 episodes and let's just presume it goes on for four or five seasons hopefully it doesn't get cancelled or anything like that but like hopefully it does get to see out its whole thing and the trailer looks so good mm-hmm. uh and i and it does lend itself so well for the tv format and i don't think it would fit a movie well unless yeah. you did a unless you did an extended edition movie like a four-hour movie or something I mean, maybe, like, maybe it might work. Like, but I actually think the TV show is going to be like phenomenal. I think I'm really looking forward to it. I, Me too. So overall, look, I love these ten issues. I, I would, I, I am considering whether to carry on or whether we wait until we do another episode where we do three and four. So, like, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I haven't decided, but honestly, it's a fantastic read. Like I say, yeah. fully recommend. It's Give interesting, it, and, and it asks some good questions too. I definitely think it's a good, um, they talk about gatekeepers in comics, people that block entry to comics. I've never mm-hmm. been any of those. If I ever come across anyone who's got an interest in comics, this is one of the first books I recommend is Why the Last Man and Fables. I recommend those two. And the amount, and actually I have to say, like I've recommended a lot to people, those two books, and they've come back to me and said, I've loved them. So mm-hmm. I would hands down recommend this to anyone, like any, especially like new to comics, because 
because it does have an end. So I know a lot of people get put off by picking up Amazing Spider-Man or Detective Comics or whatever, because, you know, not necessarily the issue number it's on, but just the fact that it carries on going. Like, mm-hmm. this is a this is a book with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And, yeah, fully recommend just read, read the whole thing. So, yeah. Anyway. It does not feel 20 years old, that's for sure. Our next book club uh, is going to be Batman, The Long Halloween. Now, this will be the first time we're revisiting the same character in our book club series because we did cover Batman in The Killing Joke with episode eight. And we will also, just so you heads up, we're going to watch the movies. We won't review the movies. We'll just... But we, but it will come up in our conversations. Mm-hmm. If you wanna, if you wanna, if you wanna be fully involved, go watch those movies and read that book. So, um, you can follow us uh, on social media. We are Geeks Unleashed everywhere: Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts: Google, Podbean, Apple, Spotify. We are everywhere. So please give us a five star review and tell your geeky friends. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye.